Welcome to Semper Sometimes with Benny. Today I have um, Brian with us, and we're going to be talking about mental health, um, his time in the Navy. He'll be the first person that's on the podcast that's not in the Marine Corps. Um, and really just talking about you know things that he dealt with throughout his life, um, now being 38 years old. Talk about things that he's had to deal with in the past and how he deals with them now. Um, and kind of just tell us his story. So without further ado, welcome Brian. Hey, what's going on, man? Thanks for having me. Um, so I started out in the Navy and uh, eventually worked my side, worked my way over to the green side with the Marines, um, working as a civilian over at RS in New Jersey, which is how we met um, about four years ago. Um, Marines in the submarine community have a long history together. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, I did not know that. Um, your famous hoorah comes from the recon marines back in Korea in 1953, uh, where they were actually on board submarines to be delivered, um, and they were little people movers, and, uh, the dive alarm on the submarine goes, aruga, aruga, dive, 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 I'm sure you've heard that in movies and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. Marines being who they are as people, shortened that to oorah, oorah, and they used that as motivation every time they were doing drills and stuff, and they thought that was cool, so that's where that actually originated, you know, there's been a lot of, a lot of controversy around, you know, where that all started, and nobody really knew, but uh, I actually looked it up, and I was pretty surprised to find that out myself. Wow. So it's a, one of those connections that kind of brought me closer to the core, okay. um, which is cool for me. Yeah, definitely. I didn't know that. That's awesome to know. So um, what what was it that made you initially join the Navy? Was there any particular reason why? Were so my father was slated to go into the Navy. Uh, he, he was actually drafted into the Army. And uh, he went in to the Navy recruiter office a few days later and was like, hey, man, can you help me out? I uh, really don't want to go into the Army. So the Navy recruiter was like, yeah, sure, we can help you out, and backdated his paperwork and then, you know, told the Navy or the Army recruiter, hey, he was here first. So he, he volunteered for submarine duty. But he actually never wound up going because he wound up getting into a motorcycle accident um, out in Brooklyn. Uh, he was making a left-hand turn, and a uh, car pulled up on the left side of him and blew by and just ran his leg over while he was waiting at a light. Oh, shit. So he, uh, he never actually got the ship out. He, uh, he healed up. qualifying factor at that point too so um, so that's kind of what motivated me to join um, I knew school wasn't for me coming out of high school I'd already done 
12 years of, you know, school. I wasn't really particularly interested in sitting in a classroom anymore. I was always very active, always played sports, always was on the move. So, you know, military always seemed like a good fit. Uh, My only regret is that I didn't interview with any other branches. Um, I just, you know, I kind of had my goals set on the Navy once I found out what submarines were capable of. You know, I thought that was really cool, you know, and I grew up in my parents' basement, so I kind of figured, well, how hard could it be? Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about what you did in the Navy? What was your job? What was your, you know, your specialty? So I was a radioman, um, which is basically the equivalent of, like, data comms type situation in the Marine Corps. Um, on submarines, you kind of fill more than one billet because of the limited amount of personnel on board the ship. Um, so, you know, radio men do a variety of jobs. I did the, you know, electronic surveillance. I did radar. I did uh, SATCOM. Uh, I think my favorite thing to do was the electronic surveillance because uh, it would basically take a signature from a ship or a boat in the area and you would run it through a database and you could identify, you know, friend or foe based on what kind of signals and stuff that, you know, what kind of radio frequencies it was given off. Um, so you would know immediately um, what kind of what kind of vessel was in the area. Okay. So that, that was really cool to me that they had this huge database that would just you know, and the technology back then was archaic, but it was it worked really, really well. Yeah. You know, it was nineteen seventies technology because it was well tested, um, but it worked flawlessly. Like I, I remember laughing because everything ran on like Windows NT four which at the time was like super old and like nobody used it, but it was bulletproof. You know, at that point, everybody was using Windows XP. So, you know, it, it, military has their ways, but they do their their ways for a reason. Yeah. You know. So, I uh, I joined two weeks before 9-11. I decked in in May of 2001, and I shipped out. August 29th of 2001. Oh, wow. So, like, right before. So, right before, literally. So, um, how was that experience being in boot camp and then then finding that out? So, I remember standing in ranks and our uh, drill instructors came up and told us what was going on. And we saw people dropping out. People that were trained at this point not to break military bearing, um, just completely falling out of ranks, and that that was pretty heartbreaking. Uh, one of the guys, the RPOC, which was the leader of the division at the time, uh, he actually lost a couple of people in his family on a flight um, out of Boston. I forget which one, but um, he lost a significant number of people in his family. I think it was like 10 or 11 people. So it was it was
was hard um, to see him go through that, but he he toughed it out. He finished out his time in boot camp, and as far as I know, he went on to have a pretty successful uh, Navy career after that. So, you know, it's tough people. You know, they don't they don't think I'm like that. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Um, then I went on to submarine school and. You know, that was out in Groton, Connecticut, Groton, Groton, uh, New London. Um, you know, that was, uh, did a lot of school for my, uh, my position. And then I got to my first boat and I was on the USS Hartford and they, uh, they were, they were pretty good to me over there. They, uh, I had made a lot of friends, and I was working in the uh, TDU, the trash disposal unit, um, because everybody does that when they first get to the boat. You know, they uh, they have you working in the kitchen and uh, peeling potatoes and you know real real nitty gritty stuff. You so know, all just the stuff that happened in the movies. Uh, yeah, it's all yeah. legit. Okay. Um, you know, as far as submarine movies go um, down Periscope or up Periscope, I forget who it is. I don't know. Uh, the one with Kelsey Grammer. Oh. Uh, that's probably the most realistic and it's a comedy. So, um, yeah. it uh, Kind of like that, but I was working in the TDU room and I wound up uh, catching my hand in the back of the trash compactor and it slammed shut in between my hand and the bulkhead. And the TDU room is right across the hallway from Doc. So Doc comes running in the corpsman on the boat and uh, he starts looking at me and I pull my glove off half expecting my finger to come out of it. Um, so my finger, my pinky finger was it got caught in the latch that goes right into the bulkhead. Um, so my my finger was pretty much screwed on backwards, and it, it, it crushed the rest of my hand pretty good too. But that was my my major injury at that point. So they did an emergency blow, which if you don't know what that is, it's when the boat comes up from you know the depths of the ocean. They blow all of the water out of the ballasts, and it goes straight to the surface in a hurry, kind of like holding a uh, like a Coke bottle filled with air under like the pool, okay. letting it go, and it just kind of comes splashing out like a whale. Mm-hmm. That's what most people compare it to. So we get to the surface. Doc's checking me out. I'm watching all of the work that I've done come tumbling down uh, around me literally and metaphorically uh, the all of the trash compactor cylinders uh, were not very well secured um, and at this point I'm pretty high because he shot me up with uh, high amounts of ibuprofen mm-hmm. and yeah so they make a determination that I'm not fit for duty and but not 
banged up enough to fly me off the boat. We're close enough to the shore that they took me in. Uh, I spent the rest of the next two days laying in the rack. Uh, I woke up for meals and then I went right back to the rack. Oh, wow. Uh, I, was, I was pretty hurt. Um, so once we got back to shore, they took me by ambulance to the uh, Navy hospital on base and they did emergency surgery to kind of put my finger back together and uh, had like two pins in it and you know, it, was, it was pretty nasty so yeah and then I spent a couple of weeks healing up from or a couple of weeks healing up from that and then I was supposed to report to my next duty station which was going to be on shore duty because now it was temporarily disqualified for submarine duty. So I wound up going over to the base telecommunications station and they were not necessarily happy with me because they had to pull me out of my rack about two weeks after I was supposed to report for duty. So you were just UA for two weeks? For two weeks, I was severely depressed, um, and that went on pretty much for the next few years. So, so what was it? What was it that was kind of making you depressed? Was it the fact that like you were supposed to go out with these guys and go on this deployment, and now you couldn't because you got hurt? It was a combination of things. Uh, I, of course, wanted to go out. My ship. I'd made a lot of friends on the boat and stuff, uh, and that was the last, the last week of the last underway that I was going to be um, there, and then we were going to be deploying. So we were supposed to be going out. Uh, we were on our way back from that underway. We were going to be home for like two weeks. And then we were going to go back out on deployment. Um, so I felt like everything that I'd worked so hard for, all of the effort, all of the schooling, uh, was kind of taken away from me. Um, I was also a heartbroken, lovesick teenager at the time. My uh, high school sweetheart, sure you've heard this story before uh she wound up cheating on me and you know we couldn't quite work things out with the distance and whatever so you know I was very myopic and you know not quite understanding how the real world worked and uh my reality and expectations were out of alignment let's say so when it came to my next duty station, I was pretty much defeated at that point. I didn't see the point. So I was very depressed, and my LPO, uh, Lee Petty Officer at the time, he came and pretty much dragged me out of bed and made me report for duty. And uh, I didn't actually get NJP'd for that. Um, 
I did get NJP eventually. I back him in, but it wasn't for that. It was for something else. But at that point, it was a uh, quote-unquote pattern of misconduct. Mm. Uh, so I have a tendency of doing that. But the uh, main point is, is I went on to that duty station and uh, I'd already set up a bad reputation for myself. Okay. Um, so it didn't matter how good I was at my job. It didn't matter that I completely streamlined everything at the uh, new command. It didn't matter that I made backups of backups of everything. It didn't matter that I was using uh, personal equipment to make things work. You know, nobody gave a shit about that. So you didn't have a second chance. I, d- I never was. I was never given the opportunity for a redemption. There was no. You were just that guy. I was that guy. I was a shitbag, and I was labeled a shitbag because I was a, a supposed submarine washout, and because I didn't show up for duty. So I'd already had like two strikes against me. Mm-hmm. At that point, there's no path for redemption. So again, I quit trying. felt like you were just in this hole that you couldn't get out of quickly. And it's not like I was delusional. That's the situation. Like, in the military, once you're labeled something, you are fucking labeled. That's it. You are that. You are that guy. You know? So, I wound up being that guy um, at that command um, and it didn't I didn't find it out that I was that guy you know like I had my suspicions like mm-hmm. I would hear people like kind of talking you know laughing when I was like in the other room and you know you kind of get that feeling yeah, like maybe yeah. maybe they're laughing at me yeah not with me <laughs> yeah so um, but I got confirmation of that when I was checking out, I was at, I was an admin, uh, what you guys refer to as admin, uh, S1 or whatever. Uh, I was getting my DD-214 and I was leaving, uh, I was uh, leaving the area and I wound up meeting up with one of the, uh, completely by chance, uh, I met up with one of the female sailors that I worked with at that last command. And she let me in on it. She was like, you know, everybody thinks you slammed your hand in that trash compactor on purpose to get out of subs. And I was like, oh, well, that's news to me. (laughs) And I kind of let it go, and I didn't say anything, because in my mind, I would much rather be known as the psycho that did that shit on purpose than the asshole that did it on accident. Mm. Because that's just who I am. To me, that was more embarrassing that I did it on accident than it was that, like, I was just, like, out of my mind. I don't want to do this anymore, and I just fucking walled my hand. Like, I was okay with that. I was like, if people want to think that about (laughs) me, I'm good with that. Okay. So, whatever, fuck them. You know, that's in my rear view. Um, So how was was home life when you got out of the Navy? 
again, reality and expectations got away from me. I thought once I got out, um, things were going to be better for me. And when they weren't instantly better for me, because what in this world is ever instantly better, uh, I started taking a turn for the worst. And that was probably due to my untreated health issues at that point I didn't have any real good coping mechanisms um, so I just had you know no tools in my toolbox to deal with any of the things that I was going through so I turned to alcohol because that's what was around me that's what all my friends did that seemed like a good idea didn't help at all it pretty much exacerbated the situation did that for a while until one night I had a really really bad day at some shitty job that I was working and decided that I had enough Um, I looked at my life I looked at everything that I had going on and I didn't see anything getting better and I didn't I didn't have any way of dealing with it anymore and decided that I was going to my own ticket, you know, I, uh, I was drinking, but not heavily, you know, I'd, I'd made up my mind, it was a, a pretty conscious decision to do, you know, and I uh, decided that I was going to take a shitload of Benadryl, figuring that I'd just go to sleep and not wake up, so I waited for all of that shit that I took to kick in, washed it down with a couple of beers on the way and called an ambulance for myself because I didn't want to die at home. I didn't want anybody to find me. I didn't want my parents to have to deal with, you know, finding their dead kid's body. So I called an ambulance for myself, figured, hell, I'll get out of here and I'll just be the hospital's problem. So once I felt myself kind of fading, that seemed like a good, good way of dealing with it. So being an idiot kid I didn't realize that the ambulance would show up with lights and sirens and wake up everybody in the house so I was outside on the front porch waiting for the ambulance to show up discreetly and (laughs) they did not and uh, I pretty much woke up everybody in the house with that my parents followed me and the ambulance to the hospital that was tough tough for everybody and I'm laying in bed in the hospital and my primary care doctor my pediatrician actually uh, has known me since I was a little little kid comes over and she's examining me and seeing my eyes spinning in my head like slot machines and she looks at me starts questioning me what's going on really wants to die like this came as a big shock to my parents even though I was pretty much chronically depressed since I've been home uh, I don't think they saw it you know and my father came over to me I was ripping out my IV lines I was spitting at the nurses I 
wanted to die. I did not want to be here anymore. And my pop come over to me and he's like, hey, I need you to drink this. And it was charcoal. Charcoal is supposed to soak up all the bullshit in your body, all the toxins and poisons and whatnot. And I didn't want to do it. But he made it seem like having my stomach pumped was the worst thing in the world. So, and it probably might be. I don't know. I'll never know. Yeah. Um, so, I start drinking this delicious charcoal <laughs> milkshake that they gave me. And, uh, you know, I start feeling a little bit better. And, it, you know, I'm starting to get my wits about me again. You know, I'm not drunk. I'm not hallucinating on Benadryl anymore. And I start fighting for my life, literally and, you know, metaphorically at that point. I, I, I realized that I had people that gave a shit enough about me to be there for me. You know, my parents being there for me, my pediatrician that I've seen, you know, for years. Um, so it, it was the middle of the night, you know, it was two, three in the morning at that point. So for everybody to show up for me, like they did that, that, that to me was enough for me to kind of turn my life around. That was, that was rock bottom for me. So, um, after I was discharged, I went on to start seeing a psychiatrist and a psychologist over at the VA in Burktown. Um, they were phenomenal over there. You know, I saw Dr. Adler there for a long time, almost 20 years. She was my doctor. Before um, you went to the VA, did you have to go to any rehab or anything like that? Yeah, so I spent a, a week in uh, a psychiatric hold in uh, Shoreline what it was called back then I think it's something else now like uh, I think uh, St. Barnabas or whatever took that over um, but yeah I spent a week there and I realized that there was people in there that were in way worse shape than I was there was uh, this one girl that was in chronic pain all of the time um, she could barely another guy, young guy, he's probably about my age now, uh, so maybe mid-30s, late 30s, and he wound up trying to take his own life with a pistol and with a gun to his head, and he didn't have it far enough back to shoot himself in the brain, he just wound up shooting out his eyeballs. So he was there, blind. wanted to get better you know so I looked at that as a turning point for me because I had all of my senses yeah. you know it was uh, excuse the pun an eye opener yeah. you know he, he, he was trying to fight for his life and you know that was that was easy for me to do at that point because I 
saw what this guy was dealing with. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I decided at that point it was it was time to you know start looking at things differently. And when I went over to the VA, they started me on you know some antidepressants, which helped immensely. I obviously needed them at that point because um, it's not. It's not normal to want to kill yourself all the time, you know. There's, there's times I think in people's lives where they look at themselves and, you know, they look at where they're at and they're like, man, maybe, maybe I shouldn't be here. And if it's a passing thought, I understand that, you know. Oh, this sucks, you know, whatever. But if it's constant, if you're just being overwhelmed all of the time, like that's not normal seek help at that point because you shouldn't feel like that all the time yeah um but yeah between the the medicine and cbt which is cognitive based therapy um that that really helped and what cognitive based therapy does for you is is it basically makes your brain more linear so my brain was like a complete blob of just random thoughts and spidered out cobwebs of just nonsense so there was no there was no logical progression to anything that was going on in my mind it was just all over the place all the time like I couldn't keep one thought in my head at a time so what what cognitive based therapy did for me was okay well you have you have this problem, A, this is how you deal with it, B, and then C, this is how you execute it. So once I started being able to identify problems, I was able to make a plan on how to fix it, and then once I had a plan in mind, I was able to execute it. Mm-hmm. So that's what I had to do, and it was an internal struggle that I had to just kind of rewire my brain to work a certain way because it was just scrambled. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I got I got better from there and I started working for a defense contractor. I started working for Lockheed Martin and Northrop Grumman kind of started my career back up you know I still at that point believe it or not had a top secret clearance so that wasn't a disqualifying factor for me because I sought help Mm -hmm. Um, that's where most people get into trouble with stuff like that and they lose clearances and stuff because they go off the deep end and don't do anything about it so as long as you disclose that information and you know you're able to explain yourself basically you'll be alright and then you know I started my own business and that didn't quite pan out and I did stuff like that and then I started working for the Marines Um, there was other odd jobs in between there but um, once I got working with the Marines I kind of felt like I found where I was supposed to be so like everything 
it kind of felt like it led me up to that point. Yeah. You know, so now I basically just hang out with Marines and I hang out with my fight club. Nice. So that's that's the other coping mechanism of my life is my motorcycle and my club brothers and, you know, finding, you know, common ground with those guys because we're all ex-military or um, firefighters or EMS. And yeah, it's, yeah. it's all kind of the same thing. So, you know, we're, we all have the same struggles in that aspect. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> this far in your life, um, now you you have a family, right? Yeah, I have a family. I have a wife and two stepdaughters. Nice. And, uh, you know, I have a lot, a lot in my life now that keeps me moving forward. Um, I finished up my associate's degree last year. Um, thanks to the Marines, they helped me pay for that. cybersecurity and information assurance and hopefully I get that finished up next year. I'm about three quarters of the way done with that. So, yeah, I mean, there's definitely hope. There's definitely, you know, a way through the pain and the shit that happens to you. Like, you don't have to accept everything, you know, like, feel like I got dealt a pretty shitty hand early on, but I was able to overcome it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a, a lot in part thanks to, you know, the VA um, in Bricktown. You know, a lot of people have a lot of bad things to say about the VA, and I understand it because I have had quite a few bad experiences with them. Um, you've mentioned about East Orange and your yeah. one of your podcasts that I was listening to. I mean, that place is a complete shithole. Yeah. They're, uh, they got good people working there, but when you think of, like, a decrepit government building, that's it. Yeah. So. So, um, if you could talk to, you know, 18, 21-year-old Brian, is there any advice you would give to him? Is there anything you would say to him? Or anybody really just going on, you know, something that might be facing the topic just, just right now in their lives? Be kind to yourself. There's so many people in this world uh, that are going to fuck with you. Um, in the military, in the civilian world, uh, there, there's just there's mean people out there for no reason. Um one thing that I can say is, is that you don't need to be an asshole in order to do a good job. Um, and I think a lot of people don't understand that. You know, they, especially in the military, they think they gotta be these hard-ass people. Um, and it, it, it's kind of frustrating because I think most people, most people are good. Most people wanna do a good job. You know, they, they're not shit bags, mm-hmm. you know.
this perception of a workplace, you know, and, you know, that expression, one bad egg can ruin the whole thing, that's, you know, that's, that's completely true. You've got one guy that just keeps running his mouth and causing problems for everybody, that's going to spoil a whole batch. Yeah. You know, one bad attitude. Yeah. That's all it takes sometimes. Um, or, or in your case, Rudy, if you can think about the story that you were kind of sharing with us, is from what you said, no one really came to you when you were missing for two weeks. And then even after that whole time, no one really was talking to you about what was going on in your life. Because clearly you were showing that you had these issues. Or maybe you weren't. Yeah, I mean, they, again, they just, they, it's a different world back then, too. Like, 20 years ago is a lot different. Like, mental health issues back then versus mental health issues now. There's still a stigma behind mental health issues, especially in the military. Yeah, 100%. But back then, you couldn't talk about it at all. If you talked about it at all, you were basically labeled disqualified uh, especially on, on like submarine service mm-hmm. uh, if, if you were even shown any sort of glimpse that you might be mentally unsound they would drum you out pretty quickly um, so for me to even seek help um, during that time in my career was not not great for my career you know I kind of knew where that was going to lead me but I also recognized that I needed help at that point, too. Yeah. So, it is what it is. You know, you learn and you grow from these yeah. experiences. Thankfully. And, yeah, I, I got lucky that, you know, I was able to come out on the other side of it mm-hmm. relatively unscathed, you know. Yeah. Um, I still fight my battles. I still have my demons, you know. They pop up, but thankfully now I have more more tools in my toolbox. I have more coping mechanisms yeah. to, to deal with these types of scenarios where, okay, you know, my depression's getting the better of me. What can I do about it? You know? Uh, oh, now I'm really anxious. How do I calm myself down? You know? The panic attacks, stuff like that. You know, I learned how to deal with those. And when I couldn't deal with them anymore, I found out, okay, well, something else going on there and you know I was able to find medication finally to kind of level that out so I wasn't dealing with that all of the time so it's it's a it's a constant battle you got to check in with yourself and you know just 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 be better to yourself be kind to yourself because there's so many you have so many critics in this world everybody's going to look at you like there's something wrong with you, you know, and what can they get out of you, you know, but you gotta, you gotta be your own advocate, you know, you gotta, you gotta stick up for yourself, and you gotta, you gotta push, you gotta push yourself to, to be better, but you also gotta take care of yourself at the same time, yeah, so it's a balance, life is a balance, and striking that balance is important. It's definitely, um, it's, it's crazy that you say that because my last episode uh, that I did on recruiting duty, uh, we talked about balance and how a lot of 
being on recruiting duty is you gotta find that balance of family and time and stuff like that. Um, but real quick before we end this, um, it's crazy because you're talking about being your own advocate and being there for yourself and not being the person who's just, you know, kind of yelling at yourself or whatever. But earlier today I was listening to this, uh, I don't know what it was, I think it was on an Instagram or something, but the celebrity from The Flash, she was the villain, uh, he was kind of just talking about how he constantly realizes that he talks to himself a lot. He's like, listen, I talk to myself every day, and I, I know I do this, but he was like, you know, I talk to myself aloud all the time, and a lot of times when I'm talking to myself and I'm calling myself a piece of shit, or I fucked up here, or I fucked up there, and he straight out was just like, bro, at the end of the day, you need to be an advocate for yourself because there's so many enemies that you have in your own life that you don't even realize, or people that are talking down to you. Yeah. So realistically, um, guys, the reason why I had Brian out here um, was I, I just to be honest, I had no idea of this story um, until he told me he wanted to talk about it, and this is my first time hearing it um, right along there with you guys. So really, what we're trying to just get out there is that if you have an issue with mental health, reach out to somebody, ask for help, get the help that you need, um, because nobody wants to see you not here. And if we can be of a help in any way please reach out to me. Um, you know, there's different hotlines, there's different things like that. So whether it's alcoholism or suicidal tendencies, just definitely seek the help that you need um, and, and don't feel like you can't um, because it's it's okay. Like there's people that are around you that want to help you, but we just got to know that we're, just know that we're there for you. Brian, do you have anything that you want to leave off with? Uh, just a couple of things. Uh, if you're ending... Getting towards the end of your career in the military, uh, make sure that you have all of your stuff documented um, as far as medical issues and stuff like that goes. It's only going to help you when you get on the other side with the VA benefits and stuff. You really, um, you're taught as military members and Marines in particular to just tough things out and to not talk about things and stuff like that you know uh just hydrate maybe take some ibuprofen it's fine don't worry change about your it change your socks you're good oh you broke your leg walk it off it's fine <laughs> but that's cool in the beginning of your career but when, when when you start getting towards the end make sure that you know you have everything documented don't get yourself disqualified um you know from doing duty and stuff like that but make sure that you're at least getting things put down on record hey this hurts hey this you know i get weird headaches for no reason you know hey my you know my dick stopped working talk about <laughs> these things i you know it can be embarrassing you know we're all tough guys but uh at, at some point you know even if you just get it documented and then you get out, you at least have something on paper that says, hey, I talked about this. I didn't do anything about it at the time, but now you have it documented. Yeah. And that's, that's going to be huge for, you know, uh, getting medical benefits and stuff like that once yeah. you get out with the VA. Um, and then, you know, if, if you're having a hard time after you get out, you know, maybe talking about your service and dealing with all of the, 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 the clerical bullshit and admin work and you don't feel like doing it, you can set up a power of attorney with the American Legion or the VFW 
or uh, your county DSO. Um, there's all sorts of advocates out there for UBI specifically. Um, there's all sorts of resources. Um, Google stuff. Try to figure out, you know, what the what the requirements are for, you know, for the disabilities that you potentially have, and make sure that you're meeting those requirements. Um, because there's certain things that they're going to ask you that you don't realize they're questions, and you know, you might get caught flat-footed, and then, you know, they mark everything down. So just just make sure that you understand what you're getting yourself into um, because you deserve everything that's, you know, that you guys should get, you know. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's it. That's, you know, I had a lot of guys who are real proud, you know. I was too, you know. And I had a guy, Don Marshall, who was a captain in the Air Force. He's since passed uh, answer he had uh, what's that nasty one with the gut pancreatic cancer mm-hmm. took him quick uh, it was one of one of my best friend's fathers he sat me down and basically told me I was being stupid because I didn't want to put any claims in with the VA and if I had not listened to him I probably wouldn't be here because I wouldn't have gotten the help that I needed so get yourselves checked out by the VA get the stuff that you're supposed to get you know take care of yourself be kind to yourself and that's it just you know just be kind you know that to yourself to other people the world sucks especially now man yeah you know it's 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 hard enough everybody's everybody's in the thick of it so just just be nice to one another you don't have to be a dick to get anything done you know just yeah. have fun yeah all right well brian thank you for coming out i really appreciate you telling us your story um and anybody else out there who has a story that they want to tell um whether i know you or i don't know you i'd like to meet you um and somebody if if not like if you feel like your story isn't worth being heard, I, I so I told this to someone the other day. Like, listen, at the end of the day, your story might help one person, and if it's just one person, that one person's enough. Um, so everyone's story does you know deserves to be heard, and too many of them go unheard. Um, so if there's something that you want to talk about, or maybe you know someone who was you know KIA, um, killed in action, or maybe someone that you just you know lost throughout life that you want to talk about or anything like that um please reach out and let us know and um we'll talk about it so thanks for coming out and have a good night bye thanks